Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 46. Hey babe, did you use up all the printer ink again? Hey everybody, welcome back. I don't know if you guessed it from the uh, subtitle for this show, but this episode is on print and play games. First up, I'm going to have an interview with Chris Hansen from the One Player Podcast. And then I'm going to talk about a role-playing game called The Chronicles of Arax. It's a print-and-play solitaire role-playing game. As always, let me start with the news. I actually have very, very little this time. There's one item, and it's not necessarily even a game. It's a Kickstarter item. It's um, it's actually a maze puzzle book called Labyrinthos Giant Maze Puzzle Book. It looks interesting. It's a, It's basically just a giant maze, like the title says. I think it's something like... I don't know how many feet long. I, I think 18 for some reason. And it's got portals you could go through and things you could try and find, like treasure and whatnot. It sounds pretty interesting, but I mean, it, it is definitely a puzzle and not a game. It's also relatively cheap, so it's worth looking into. That's it. I don't have any other news this time. I don't know why. Um, probably because I haven't had much time to look and all that. Since there isn't much news, I'll just mention a couple other random things. Um... I just got my copy of Cuba Libre from GMT the other day. It looks fantastic. I started going through the rules to learn the game. It's got this really good playbook that'll guide you through step-by-step step on how to play. So I set it up last night and did that for an hour or two, but I barely, barely got through that. So I've got a while to go before I've got a good grasp of the game. You know, With luck, I'll be able to talk about it really soon. <laughs> you know, the subtitle of this game is about the printer ink, and, you know, doing that... It reminded me that I used to buy ink for my printer, not in the car, well, doing that subtitle reminded me that I used to actually buy ink refills for my printer, especially when I did a lot of print and play. I would go through ink so fast, and you know, that stuff is so expensive. And I found out that you could order online ink in a, that comes in a bottle, and it's a kit basically to refill your cartridges. You know, it works better with some brand of cartridges than others and that sort of thing, but basically I would... uh inject the needle into the cartridge and refill it myself at home. It was way cheaper than buying ink cartridges. I think a kit was about $50, which is more or less the price of a cartridge, but it lasted for many, many refills. It was great. Unfortunately, I think I bought the wrong ink, and it might have damaged my printer. There's apparently, apparently some of the commercial inks bring cleaning agents in it, and I think this one didn't, and my printer had got clogged up and Basically, the printer got ruined and I had to throw it out. But it is something to consider. If you do go that route, you know, try and make sure that the ink you're buying has cleaning agents or you could add it to it. If you look online on the internet, you'll find information about that sort of stuff. Check it out, but, you know, tread with caution if you decide to do that sort of thing. Anyway, so that's it. Let's jump into the first segment, which is an interview with Chris Hansen, which I actually recorded a few days ago. After that, we'll come back. For me, it'll be just a moment in time, but for you, it'll be like 30 or 40 minutes. We'll come back, and then I'll talk about Chronicles of Varex. Okay, so today I'm talking to Chris Hansen. Uh talked to him last year regarding the print and play solitaire contest. I wanted to talk to Chris again to, to talk about the contest again. Unfortunately, it's not as timely as it was last year. So how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, super busy. Barely have time to play solo games, even. 
Yeah, that's that's me too, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there's too many out there just to make it worse and taunt me more, I guess. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so you've got the uh, the solitaire print and play design contest going on again. This is the the third annual one, isn't it? It is. Yeah, this is the third time we've done it. Very cool. And um, it's a little different from last year, isn't it? Can, can you tell us about how the how it works this year? Okay. Well, it it's really pretty sim- similar. Um, the we, we've started a bit later uh, than we have in previous years, and mostly that was because I was working on a graduate degree and I was going to finish in August, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to be doing a you know a graduate capstone project and trying to run the contest at the same time. So I just postponed it till the fall so that I could uh, focus on the contest more. Um, there are a few changes that we've had this year, though. Um, some of the feedback I got from last year's contest from the people who participated is that there were so many games entered and not enough time to play them in. Um, so they didn't feel that they could judge things adequately because they were only able to play a handful of the games. Um, I mean, last year there were it was hard to even read the rules of everything because there were so many games entered. Yeah, I remember uh, going through the uh, the list of games at one point on the podcast. And it just it was a really long show, just going through that many games. Yeah. I was impressed. Yeah, and and they were you know a lot of really good games in there. I, I don't regret having that many entered, but uh, to make it more fun for the people who are voting and to make it so that more games can be played, I've limited it this year to just one game per designer. Uh, plus, if they want to, they can enter a small game, which is just a one or two page, you know, simple rules. Because um, I know some people, you know, have a larger game and then they think of something small that they'd like to enter as well. So um, there, there's a limit of one large game and one small game per designer. And that has, I, I think, kept the number of, of entries a little bit more manageable this year. Okay. How many entries do you have this year? Do you know offhand? Um, yeah, right now there are uh, just under 50 entered, wow. um, but only 20 of them have components ready so that other people could come and play test. I think that number will go up. Uh, you know, we're still in the design phase of the contest, so people are still working on their projects. I, I think that number will go up, but right now there's 20 games that people can come in and play test right now, but there's 46 total entries been created for the contest okay so it may be that some of those entries don't quite make it to the to the end just because they aren't ready yeah every year there's a few games where the designer withdraws we've already had a few people who've said you know life has gotten crazy or i just don't have time to finish it we've already had four or five designs pull out of the contest just because they didn't think they'd be able to finish in time um, I'm, I'm sure that there will be a few of those, but I think we're going to have a pretty good number that finish. It, it, there seems to be a lot more activity. Uh, w- one of the things I saw in previous years is someone might create a thread uh, to, to make an entry in the contest, and then they never post on it again. And then those games just kind of disappear. Somebody posts an idea, and then they never return to it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing less of that this year. It, it, even the games where they haven't released components for people to download and, and print and play, th- they're posting a lot about how they're working on it and what kind of problems they're having and um, how the game design is going. So I, th- I think we're going to have a lot more that finish this year. 
Okay, very cool. And, you know, that, those are fun threads to follow too, just to see the the process of the development and and how it goes along. Yeah, I feel just from reading the threads um, that over the years of doing this contest, I've learned about game design and uh, you know, especially in regards to solitaire game design, just from reading the process that so many other people have gone through. Like, they're they're a really cool resource. Uh, in in addition to being the entry for the the thread, or, or I'm sorry, the entry for the contest, they're they're a good resource to learn about game design and see what people go through when they're working on a project. Mm, that's cool. That's a neat idea. Have you been following all the games? Are you able to keep up with that many? Uh, I I subscribe to each thread. I I I maintain the list of entries myself. Uh, some of the other contests have a geek list or something where people can come in and manage the list of uh, or manage their entries themselves. I, I keep uh, an entry list on the thread, and I'm not sure why I do that because it's a lot of work. But <laughs> um, I do follow everything so that I can keep things categorized correctly. For example. When one of these games that the designer is working on gets components available, I will move it on the entry list to a special place that says, you know, you, you can go download these components and play it now. So I, I have everything broken out by where the game is and the design process. So I do follow everything so that I can keep the entry list updated and, and see how the games are going. Gotcha. Okay, so when the components are ready, are these final components or they might just be beta very simple graphics or none at all. Yeah, a lot of the games um, will be in kind of a playtest phase. So, and I try to warn people, you know, when when you're downloading these games, the designers are free to keep making changes as they get feedback up until the entry deadline. Um, so when you download a game, you know, if, if, if there's a lot of printer ink involved, you know, you should be advised that that might not be the final version that gets entered in the contest because some of these games get changed uh, quite a bit. Um, I learned that lesson myself uh, in 2011 when Shadows Over Lassiter was entered into the contest. Mm-hmm. I printed that out and got it all assembled and then... The next day, Todd Sanders, the designer, posted this huge update of all these fixes oh, wow. he'd made. So all of a sudden, I had this out-of-date game that had drained my printer of ink. Oh. <laughs> so. that, yeah, that could be a little frustrating. I could see where that might set somebody off after that. Oh, I don't want to get involved anymore. Yeah. Although a lot of games do use um, have low-ink versions, especially when they're in the playtesting phase. They don't usually finalize graphics until they've got the components worked out. So. Okay. And so can anybody participate still, or is it too late to enter a game in the contest? Or What, what are the dates involved, actually? No, no, it, it isn't too late. Um, the dates of the contest, um, the entry deadline this year is October 5th, so there's still a few more weeks. Um, if if anyone listening has a solitaire game design they'd like to enter into the contest, um, it's it's open till October 5th. And then, as I said earlier, I'd gotten some feedback that there hadn't wasn't enough time to play all of the games entered because I, I think in the previous two years I just had a one month playing period and voting period. Uh, this week we've extended it to six weeks. So the voting deadline this year is going to be November 16th. So there's a little bit more time to play everything and, you know, or at least read the rules to everything or whatever you can do to, to participate. Oh, okay. 
Okay, very cool. And then somebody that's not designing the game, they could participate by trying out the games and voting on them. Yeah, absolutely. And we get a lot of people who don't have any design skills, uh, like myself, for example, who will come in and play all the games during the voting period. And um, you have an opportunity when you play the game to provide feedback to the designer. And I set that up that you can make it anonymous if you'd like. Um, So when you place the vote, you know, you can participate by providing helpful feedback to the designer or, or just voting in the contest on what your favorite game is. Is it going to be helpful if a person only gets to play one or two games and then goes out and votes? Uh, I th- I think there's always a few cases of that, and you know I, I I try to encourage people to play as many as possible, but sometimes you know people are busy. There there are certainly you know other responsibilities in life uh, besides playing all the games in the contest. So if if you're only able to play one or two games, um, I I, th- I think that's an important part of the contest still because what are the two games that you were drawn to? Um, you know, th- those deserve votes just as much as, as someone who's played all the games. You know, w- which games are most attractive to you? You know, go ahead and vote on those. That's right, because just, just interesting subject matter is a valid reason to like a game, I guess. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, as you read through the list, I, I provide a little summary of each game. And, you know, there's a wide variety in here, as you'd expect, with, you know, almost 50 games entered. And some of them you might read and think, oh, this really isn't for me, but, wow, this topic really is interesting to me, so I'm going to play that game. I, you know, I think that's you know, the, the same way that when you're trying to sell a board game, some people are going to walk past it in the game store and think, oh, I'm not interested in that topic, but other mm-hmm. people will love it. So. That's right. That, that's right. Do you have future plans for the contest? Do you think you're going to be running again next year? Oh yeah, absolutely. I I I really enjoy running this contest, um, so I'll be running it again next year. Um, this year, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was in the middle of a master's degree through the start of the year through the end of August, and mm-hmm. I I felt like my preparation for this year's contest wasn't quite as good. Uh, I. I like all of a sudden I'd remember, oh, wow, I should probably post a discussion thread or pick some dates for the contest. <laughs> you know, in the middle of doing homework, I'd think, oh, wow, I, people are asking me questions. I should probably go answer them. Oh, yeah. Um, I can imagine you're stressed at that point, just trying to get yeah. school done. Yeah. So n- next year I I would like to start the discussion a little earlier and set the dates um, ahead of time, this contest does have a minimum entry date, so you can't enter a game from last year, or from several months ago. You know, it really tries to focus on new games. But because I started talking about the contest before I picked the dates, I think I annoyed a few people who, like, oh great, I'll start up a game, and then I come out and say, okay, no games before this date are allowed. And um, so next year, I'd like to be a little bit more prepared with the dates ahead of time so that everyone knows going into it. Um, and also, it's a change we made this year, and I'll probably refine it further in the future, is categories in the past. You, you, you vote on the best game, but also you can vote for you know several categories. Um, mm-hmm. In previous years, those have focused on theme, so it'd be you know best zombie game or best science fiction game or best fantasy game, best war game. And this year I've tried to focus a lot more on mechanics. There's one category for best theme or most thematic game overall. 
But other than that, the categories are, you know, best paragraph system or best hand resource management mechanic or um, best rule book. So there's a few fewer categories than we've had in the past, but I think they're more specific to actual game design rather than game theme. That's interesting. So that could even drive uh, participants to, to decide to design a game in a certain category or a certain mechanic just because they don't see many other games like that yet. Yeah, and I, I haven't got a huge sense that's happened this year. Last year, I think it happened a little bit more where someone would look at one of the categories and think, oh, there's only two games in there. I'll, I'll enter. But, you know, the prize for this is just, you know, the geek gold that's used on Board Game Geek. Mm-hmm. So. There's no money. There's no. <laughs> there's no tangible prize. It's just geek gold that you can use to buy micro badges with. So, I I think really, for most of the participants in the contest, it's it's just the fun of participating and getting your game out there. The geek gold is fun, but I don't think it really drives anyone to. Oh, I'm going to enter this category or change my game this way so that I have a better chance of winning. A hundred geek gold. You know? <laughs> now, wasn't there going to be a, another prize that somebody will get published or something like that? Or um, there, we had discussed, or, or I had discussed with a publisher um, that the grand prize game would get published, but then they backed out because there was no guarantee on what kind of game it would be or what the theme would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're watching the contest. Um, the, Games may be published, but I think it's going to be more on an individual basis rather than, hey, you won, you get published automatically because they uh, they didn't like that idea. I could see where that could be strange. It'd be odd if you have like a Rio Grande coming out with a war game or your G- GMT coming out with a trick-taking game or something. It just seemed a little strange. It wouldn't fit with their design goals. Yeah, and, and I think that was uh, the issue at hand. They, they were thinking, oh, this will be great when a game that fits in our existing product line wins the contest. And I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe next year there could be a, a a publisher could sponsor one of the categories or something like that, if that works. Yeah, and, and we have had um, publishers have watched the contest in years past or, or at least looked at the winners after the fact. Um, some of the games from prior contests, the winner from 2011, the Inspector Moss Investigates game, is being published. Um, oh, what was the game in 2012? I've forgotten the name. <laughs> I don't remember. It, it was uh, Shadow Agent. Shadow Agent is being published. And then... Shadows Upon Lassiter, The Siege at Dalnish by Todd Sanders, mm-hmm. which won the overall prize last year. Um, the game itself isn't being published in physical format, but it's being made into an uh, an app for iPads. So, you know, people people do watch this contest. I, I think there is some possibility of being published for for people who you know participate in it. That's very cool. H- have any of the games been published yet, or they're in that process? Do you know? I think they're all still in the process. I don't know of any uh, that have actually been published. Okay. Okay, very cool. I don't think I have anything else for the contest. Any other questions? Anything else you want to mention about the Pretend Play contest? Well, one thing just on the subject uh, of the games being published, mm-hmm. it 
both of the games I mentioned, Inspector Moss Investigates and Shadow Agent, that are being published, um, the publisher asked the designers to revise the game to support multiplayer. So I think they're going to be you know one to four player games instead of just solitaire now. So that amuses me a little bit that these games won the solitaire contest and uh, and they're both asked to uh, to revise for for more players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, we we love this game. It's great, but you know we still don't like solitaire games. <laughs> I, I think in some ways there's a stigma against solitaire games you you don't see a lot of them coming out i think in the war game field that has changed a little bit you know gmt has their pre-order list and when they put a a a solitaire game on it it usually meets its numbers pretty quickly i have noticed that yep um you know the the hunters shot up the charts very very fast Uh, cactus air force uh, did the same thing, and these are both solitaire exclusive games. Uh, but with other types of games, uh, solitaire Euro games like uh, Inspector Moss would would probably be considered a Euro game, I think. Okay. You know, th- there's you've got a little bit of it, like Friday is popular. Um, some of the smaller publishers, like Victory Point Games, have published some solitaire Euro designs, like Infection, that just came out recently, but. Overall, I think there's still a little bit of a stigma for most most parts of the game you know, game publishers against publishing exclusively solitaire games. Yeah, the Friday came out, and that seems to be like the only true solitaire ga- game that's come out from a big publisher. Yeah, which, which is a very good game. I hope it inspires more. Um, of course, there's also um, Honor Rim. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. An equilibrium. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. I always pronounce it onirum, but yeah, I, I don't know. On, onirum. <laughs> I'm not sure that, that that sounds better. <laughs> and those are both from Z-Man Games, I think. So there, there's a few, but they they tend to be smaller. Um, you know, Friday is a tiny box. Those two are just small card games. So publishing a larger boxed solitaire game seems like it's not happening as much yeah. as you know. Well, as I, I'd like to see, I guess. <laughs> we talk about that. I remember now that uh, Shady Torby, the guy that designed Onirum, he's got a couple other games mentioned in BGG that aren't published yet, and they're set in that same universe. And I think one of them was bigger, a bigger box. No, I, I've I've seen that he has a few others, but I haven't. I, I assume they were card games. I didn't look into them in great detail. So no, I remember one was a tile game. That's okay, a, that's about all I remember, though. It's been a while. I have no idea what their status is at all, when or if they'll come out. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Equilibrion seemed to take a little while to come out. That was unfortunate. I think that hurt the game a bit. Although it's a good game. I like it now that it's here. Yeah, when I first started playing it, I didn't enjoy it so much the first couple times. But then, but then after a little bit, it started clicking with me and making more sense. And you know, It's very similar to Nero, but at the same time very different. Right. So, so you've also been working with White Dog Games now, haven't you? Yes, yes, I'm uh, the developer with them. Um, I, so I do a lot of playtesting and a lot of game development with them. Okay, I hadn't heard about them until you mentioned them to me. Can you tell me more about White Dog Games? So White Dog Games is a desktop publisher. Um, they're a pretty small company. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think of 
Victory Point Games as being, you know, a, a small war game publisher, and White Dog Games is even smaller. You know, there's there's a kind of a core group of people that work with them, and, um, and they uh, similar publishing to Victory Point Games. They don't publish a whole lot in advance. When they get an order, they print a new copy of the game and, and mail it off. Um, and they also offer print and play copies of games. So, um, which is nice because that's one way to save a little bit of money, uh, especially for some of the smaller games that we have, uh, like Anzio, which is a pretty easy game to build. You know, if you're into print and play at all, it's, it's a nice way to save a little bit of money on the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. The bigger games, I don't like printing out, but the small one isn't so bad. You could tackle that in an evening and, I found counters are very time-consuming and hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know even before starting with White Dog Games, sometimes when I would buy a States of Siege game, for example, from Victory Point Games, I'd think, this wouldn't be that hard to make as print-and-play. I wish they sold that so I could get it for a little bit cheaper. That's a good um, idea. For for larger games, I, I agree that counting cutting a whole counter sheet is can be pretty tedious um though for the smaller games that we have uh, it really isn't that bad to make a print and play copy mm-hmm, that's right. um you know talking about that brings me back to the print and play contest Do, are all the games i think last year you had vassal versions of some of the games so people could just play them on vassal they didn't actually have to print them out is that true this year or am i just wrong anyway oh no we we did have uh vassal modules were created um, these can be created by the developers themselves if they know how to use Vassal, or we have a few volunteers, uh, Chad Masta, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but he creates uh, an awful lot of Vassal games for people. Um, he's just finished up his entry in the contest, which is uh, this game called Everything Versus Everything, uh, <laughs> Maximum Copyright uh, a- breaking edition uh, where, <laughs> okay. so he, you you have characters from favorite movies or cartoons or tv shows or, or whatever uh having this battle game it, it looks pretty cool so he's just finished that up and he's started moving through other people's designs and making vassal entries for those so uh, he, he is a great supporter of the contest and helps out people with vassal mods but you know anyone can make them Okay, I haven't used Vassal very much. It that's available on any platform on PCs and Mac or Uh yeah, I I believe it's available on PC, Mac. I use it on my Linux machine. That's it's hmm. pretty easy to get. Okay. Okay, very cool. All right, so so back to White Doll Games. You said you're playtesting and what what's your role in it? Oh, I am the developer. Okay. So I I handle a lot of the games going through and you know, essentially doing kind of hardcore play testing, but then suggesting rule tweaks or rule book clarifications or um, you know just modifications to the game in general. Um, and then I haven't been able to do this a lot because of the degree, but I think I'm going to be getting more into it. Uh, I'll be posting session reports, um, talking about the games more on Board Game Geek and Consum World, kind of doing a little bit of promotion for for some of the titles. So that's my role with them. Very cool. And right now they've got one solo game published. Right, I was looking at the website earlier this evening. 
Red Menace. They do. Red Red Menace came out recently. It is solitaire exclusive. Um, we have a couple other games that are solitaire playable. Um, Anzio, for instance, has solitaire rules. Um, and really any of the games are solitaire playable, you know, if you play both sides with the chit draw or something. Um, but we, we are starting a line of solitaire exclusive games, um, which, which I think is interesting for, for this podcast. We were, we're taking Vietnam Solitaire, which is an old print and play game by David Kershaw. Okay. Uh, making a special edition of that. We've, we've agreed to publish that. We're expanding it with, you know, uh, a better rule book and additional scenarios for the game. Uh, so that will be the second game in the series. And then a game that I am working as developer on right now is called Spoiled Victory, um, which is the Dunkirk evacuation uh, from early in World War II. And that is a game by Herman Lutman, who designed Dawn of the Zeds in magnificent style. Okay, which, and I talked about that last month. Yeah, which you just reviewed recently. Uh, and and Paul Fish is also a designer on that. Um, that's that that's a really cool game. I'm excited to see that one published. Um, there's a couple others in the pipeline as well. Um, using that Vietnam solitaire mechanic, uh, there's a new game on the Prussian Crusade coming out by Steve Kling. And... Um, a game from the 2011 Solitaire Print and Play Contest is going to be printed, which is Raider 16 Atlantis by Bruce Mansfield, mm-hmm. which which you also reviewed, uh, I think, a year ago when That's we right. did this interview before. That's right, yeah. Very cool, okay. What What is the timeline for these games? I think we're going to see Vietnam Solitaire and Dunkirk sometime in fourth quarter. Um, you know, because... Vietnam Solitaire was pretty much, you know, it's a finished game. It's been out for years. There's not as much development work to do on it. Um, we, but we are playtesting the new scenarios quite a bit. Um, that should be coming out soon. And I would expect the Dunkirk game, Spoiled Victory, to be out probably in uh, November would be my guess. So that's just right around the corner pretty much. And you said they come uh, bagged or boxed, or you could get print and play, right? Yeah, there, there's uh, three different formats for pretty much everything uh, that's printed. Uh, there's boxed editions, um, or um, e- there's z- the Ziploc bags, like the uh, the older Victory Point games that would come in a Ziploc bag, um, or print and play if you'd like to do that yourself. Okay, and the if you get the the bag version, is that the same quality components as the box version? Yeah, the only difference is the container that everything goes in. Um, it, it's just a bag instead of a box, gotcha. but okay. the counters and, and map, everything else is the same. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at the counters, a picture of the counters on the on the website, and they look like they got texture. They look really nice. Yeah, we we uh, the counters are laser printed, and or, or I'm sorry, laser cut. Uh, printed on kind of a thick plywood material, so they come out really thick. Um, oh wow! And and you know, there's no punching or counter clipping required. They just you know fall out of the counter sheet nice and easy, and you're ready to play. Okay, and they're not cardboard. Um, they're. Plywood. I'm not sure the exact material. There's some kind of 
probably cardboard wood. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. They they feel like plywood to me, but I'm not sure exactly what they're made out of. That's very cool. Okay. Um, for these the three games you've mentioned already, what is what's the playing time for them roughly? Um, so I think all three of these games are playable in about an hour. Red Menace is playable in an hour pretty easily. Um, Vietnam Solitaire, I I think even the other scenarios. Uh, are, are going to probably average out to about an hour or so. And then Dunkirk, you know, the, the first games I played of it took me a little longer, but once I figured out all the rules, um, you know, the first times I was playing it, you can play that in, in about an hour pretty easily too. Okay. Okay. That sounds like a good amount of time. So you mentioned you're doing play testing. Play testing. Is this something other people could sign up to do also? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if from the company website on whitedoggames.com or the uh, Consum World folder, or there, there's a blog, whitedoggames.blogspot.com. Um, they'll post messages for playtesters. Um, I might start doing that on Board Game Geek a little bit more. I think I'm one of the more active people on that forum. Um, so as games are coming out that need playtesters, we do post, you know, Please come help. Join join the fun. You know, <laughs> um, there's a couple games. You know, we've got those solitaire games out there right now, but there's a couple other games that are in playtest right now uh, that are two player. So you know, if if somebody wants to playtest something that isn't one of those solitaire games, there's several of those available too. Okay, very cool. It seems to be harder to get players when you got multiple players. I've noticed uh, playtesters. I've noticed that uh, for victory point games. On their website, they'll they'll post when they need playtesters, but it's usually not for solitaire games. Those just seem yeah. to like automatically get taken care of. Yeah, I'm sure they have an easier time uh, finding solitaire players. And e- even for me, when I'm working on one of the White Dog games, I will typically I'll play both sides during my playtesting. A-, a lot of my friends that I play games with regularly are not as interested in playtesting, which I can understand. It's kind of like take a game and turn it into work mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, play a turn and write down what happened and write down notes and the rules and i i understand a lot of people you know you just want to play a game and focus on the game um so i understand that but it, it does mean that you, even some of our multiplayer games i've, I've play tested largely by myself okay i've noticed it is kind of fun to to play test a game if you're trying to break it and some of the play testing you know you're looking for for things that could break the game and yeah. I enjoy breaking things. <laughs> and, and I think I, I have a maybe a reputation now uh, as being a little bit of a brutal playtester because I really do try to get in there and think, what are people going to complain about when they buy this game? What what's going to break? What what can I do that's not going to work right? And you know, so I'll send back these notes on we we need to update the rule book here, and this mechanic needs to change because this isn't working for me. And so, but I think it makes a better product in the end. Yeah, definitely, I agree. I work you know at work I do software design, and I try and think from the user's point of view. You know, how would the user feel about this feature or that feature? And a lot of the time I'm fighting with the developers because they're trying to do stuff in an easy way for them that, you know, nobody would ever want to use. And you got to be able to look at that point of view, that user's point of view, to be able to be successful, I think. I, I see that, too, in my job as a, a database architect. 
you know, there, there's there's always this line between you know designing your database with perfect normalization theory, and then uh, <laughs> you know the other side of it is making it usable for people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've had to struggle with that. <laughs> you mentioned the uh, the you mentioned the White Dogs blog. What, did you also mention their website address? Yes, it's just whitedoggames.com. Okay. Is that the only way to get the games, or can you get it from a distributor at all, like go to your friendly local game store? Uh, noblenight.com has um, all of the games. I think they're the only distributor we were, that we're working with right now. Other than that, they're uh, direct orders from... Um, from White Dog Games, although I have seen copies show up, I think there's a few distributors who bought games and are selling them in the Board Game Geek marketplace, for example. Though that's kind of hit and miss on when you can find them. Mm, okay, so it's definitely the the most sure way is go straight to the publisher, go straight to White Dog Games. Yeah, and you know one of the nice things with being print on demand is that we're never out of stock of anything. Um, you know, a game never goes out of print. We just when when an order comes in, we we print another copy. That's right. Or a game is always out of print, and yet available. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so um, gosh, I don't really have any other questions. Um, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I've been playing a bit of Infection. I, I helped play test that, and then I just got the published version. Uh, I, I really enjoyed playing that. Um, in addition to my white dog testing, I've also been playtesting um, Hostage Negotiator, mm-hmm. which you talked about on an earlier podcast. I I think that one is going to go on Kickstarter soon. I'm looking forward to that, yeah. I haven't played that in a while. I playtested play it also. Yeah, I, I did a lot of playing on that, and I still pull it out from time to time. He... Uh, I just talked with the designer, and he sent me a new villain that he's trying out for the game. Um, so I'll be trying that out soon and Neat. looking forward to getting in that. So I, that's been a fun one to play. And um, but other than that, uh, contest games I've been getting into. Uh, now, now that the degree is done and I have time to play again, <laughs> I've started getting into some of the contest games. Um, and... Um, also the non-solitaire games from mm-hmm. White Dog that I've been playtesting. So, sorry, I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but one of the things that I've liked working for White Dog Games is there's not a lot of, you know, Battle of the Bulge games are really popular, so we need to make a Battle of the Bulge game. Like, it's really kind of focused on what what are we interested in as a group or you know the designer what's a, a battle or a situation that you haven't seen in a game um so we we take things that we're interested in and make games out of them and we and we all i think everyone associated with the company kind of has eclectic tastes in in military history so there's games out there that we have coming up on you know kind of obscure battles um, okay. Like, like, like the the Battle of Mulwitz, which was the first battle from Frederick the Great, or uh, the Battle of Lewis from the Second Barons War. You know, th- these aren't topics that you see covered over and over and over again in games. So, I've had a lot of fun as I play these games. I learn about these lesser known parts of history. So, 
that that's been pretty fun for me. Looks like all you're playing lately is just uh, playtesting, though, huh? Yeah, between uh, between contest games and and white dog games, there, I have not uh, just sat down and played as many games as I'd like. Although I've got a a big stack of some of the bigger GMT games, like okay. uh, Labyrinth and Navajo Wars is coming in the mail soon. These are games that I, you know, some of them have been sitting on my shelf for a little while unplayed. <laughs> And now that I've got a little bit more free time, I, I would like to start getting more into, you know, playing Fields of Fire or something. Um, just, you know, the the one-hour solitaire games are great, but every now and then I like to play one of the bigger ones. Yeah, yeah, that that is nice. I, I've got a – I received Cuba Libre from GMT yesterday, and I'm looking forward to trying that. That's one of the counterinsurgency games. Yeah, I, I have uh, not played any of those yet, but they do look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The I was surprised by the package. The it's a big box. I think it's like three inches deep, which I was not at all expecting. And you know, inside it's got all the paper, the rules, and the counters, and a bunch of player aids, a hard mounted board, and then underneath there's actually a box insert, which I'd never oh. seen from GMT. Yeah, they, they, they don't do that very often. I mm-hmm. wouldn't think. It made me laugh because there's plenty of space for a smaller box, I thought, but <laughs> I'm not complaining, actually. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have room to put everything. So, yes, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll try and do that for the next show if I could play it a bunch in the next few weeks. I'm not going to hold my breath, though. No, I, I'd, I'd love to hear a review on that from you. All right. Well, cool. Do you have any anything else you want to mention? I don't think so. That's pretty much my gaming life right now is uh, between White Dog Games and the Solitaire Print and Play Contest is keeping me uh, keeping me pretty busy. All right. Well, that's cool. That's good that uh, you're busy getting lots of Solitaire games out, giving us more things to play. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it does make me happy at the end of these contests to see how many new games are getting added to Board Game Geek. Um, that you know, people can go download and play. You know, most of them for free after the contest is done. So, it's 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 fun to see the number of solitaire games increase. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, for free, and that remind me, is Inspector Moss and the other games getting published? Have they been pulled for the downloads been pulled out now, or are they still uh, available if somebody wants to try it at this point? No, I, I don't think that the downloads have been pulled for either of those games. The only game that I know of where it has been pulled is Raider 16 Atlantis. The downloads for that have been pulled. Um, but that game you know, hopefully will be published soon. Okay. It's getting a pretty serious uh, revision from what was originally entered in the contest, though, so I think it's going to be a little bit different than what was available before. Okay, that's interesting. Hmm. All right. Well, then uh, have a good evening. Thank you for coming on. You too. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I really had a, I really had a good time talking to Chris. Unfortunately, I haven't had time to really look into the print and play contest, and I really should, but it's been too busy lately. So, on to today's game. It is the Chronicles of Arax. It is by designed by Shane Garvey. It is a solitaire role playing game. So this game comes as a single free to download rulebook from RPG Now, RPGnow.com. And with this it's a really small rulebook. It, yeah, how many pay? One, two, three. It's a real small rulebook. It's only sixteen pages. And what it brings is uh instructions on how to play, 
a generic character class called, a, I think, a hero and adventurer, and one adventure you could go through. Now, there are also other character types you could buy and adventures and a few other things, and each module you buy is only one dollar, so it's relative, it's, I mean, it's really cheap. Um, there's about, I think, five or six different classes. There's a, a battle mage, Dwarven Stone Guard is another, uh, a Jean Warrior, and a few more. I don't remember all of them. I think there's like at least two or three more. And then besides that, there's, I think, like six or seven different adventures you could get. So let me tell you the way the game works. It's very, it's a very basic RPG. Your character, your character's attributes are defined by dice. For example, your strength might be a d6 and your dexterity might be a d8. And whenever you have to make a roll, you know, if the book, if the adventure says, you know, roll against your strength to see if you could open the door, you roll that. So if, since your strength is a d6, you roll d6. If you had a different character type with us that's stronger, you'd roll a different die. And regardless of what die you're rolling, you have to basically, and regardless of what die you're rolling, you have to meet a certain number to succeed. So it might say, do a strength check with the target being 5. If your strength is a d6, you're probably going to fail. If your strength is a d12, you're probably going to make it, right? So that's how it works. Combat is a little different. Combat are opposed roles. You're rolling your fighting skill against your opponent's fighting skills. Whoever gets higher, hit the other person. Then you roll the attacker's damage ability versus the defender's armor class and get the difference, and that's how much damage you deal. So if you don't do more damage and the person can defend in that row, you don't do any damage that turn. So that's how combat and tests work. Besides that, the, the rest of the rules are about the adventure, how the, the game works. At least in the introductory adventure, there's basically, there are 20 scenarios. You ro- They're numbered 1 through 20. You roll D10, and whatever number you roll, you go to that adventure. Then, you know, you resolve it, do whatever you need to do in it, and then after you're done, you roll the D10 again for your next adventure, but you add how many scenarios you've already finished. So your first row, you're adding zero. Your second row, you're adding one. Your third row, you're adding two. And you keep going this way. If the scenario, if, if you roll an encounter number that you've already gone to, then you go up to the next available number. If I roll a two on my fifth turn, that means I've already done four adventures. It's two plus four. I go to the sixth encounter. If I've already done the sixth and the seventh and the eighth encounter, then I jump up to the ninth. Um, you keep going this way until you die or you reach the last encounter and finish the adventure. If you finish adventure, you could do character advancement. You could um, gain different skills. And that's what I think depends on the type of character class you have. I mean, so it's a very basic type of RPG. There isn't a lot of choice in it. It's more flavor and die rolling than anything else. Now, I've played this a few times and I've bought a bunch of the different modules. You know, At a dollar each, it's so easy to afford, especially if you're on RPG now and you find something else you're interested in and well why not add something for a dollar I mean that's how I've ended up getting a few of these things I've had fun with it I will say that it is really hard and I don't think it scales well as you advance through the levels but um, that hasn't stopped me from enjoying it for example I found that even on the introductory adventure I could not get the battle wizard to finish it his uh, his attack his damage attack is a d4 and the orc I was fighting is a D8 for defense. So it was, you know, I basically rolled a bunch of times and never actually hit him hard enough to do any damage. And he 
killed he he knocked off all my twelve points. I never stood a chance, and that was actually the first encounter and that adventure. So maybe if I took him into a different scenario, it might work better. I don't know. I haven't tried him again. Um, maybe he needs a little tweaking. I don't know. But then others work better. I took the dwarf, and he did pretty well in the first adventure. I've taken him through other adventures. He keeps leveling up. I think he's third level now, and and it's, now it's getting where the adventures that are available are pretty easy. It's a sort of game where you could go and make your own adventures. The stories tend not to be very deep since they tend to be about 20 to 30 encounters per adventure. So you could make an adventure and play through it and not worry about feeling like uh, you're spoiled it because you know what's going to happen. Also available, not only do you have character books and adventures, but you could buy... One of the modules you could buy is equipment, another one is artifacts, and another one is creatures. So you could use all this information to make your own modules and adventures. Also by Shane Garvey and set in the same universe is a miniatures game called Chronicles of Blood, which is a solitaire miniatures game. I've Again, you could download that one for free, and if you want to get more stuff, there's different scenarios and things like that you could download. And I think, again, they're a dollar each. I haven't tried those at all yet, so I can't really comment on it. I have no idea how big or how complex it is. For, so for the Chronicles of Eric's RPG, I have found the game satisfying enough for what it is. It's, you know, since the introductory, since the rules and introductory module is free, it's really easy to try it out without feeling like you've invested much other than time. The the encounters play a little bit slow. Combat seems to drag out some, especially because I was playing it using uh, my phone for dice and I was using card dice. So it's flipping one card at a time. You know, if I could roll two dice at a time for combat, it goes much faster. After a while, it does get a little bit tedious, especially since the, the encounters are very similar every time. Sometimes you fight one orc, sometimes you fight three orcs sequentially, um, but the combat is always the same. Roll to see who hits, roll for the attack, roll for the defense, and then repeat. The adventures you could buy do add some twist. For example, in at least one of them, having a horse will help you in the combat. And another one, one adventure I played, I found out that I didn't have a light, so I was in trouble. And then shortly after that, I, I ended up finding a magical light, and that worked out nicely. And that was thanks to the artifacts expansion that I bought. So, yep, that's Chronicles of Eric's. Give it a try. Download the free rulebook and see what you think. Don't go in expecting a lot, but I think it, you'll find that it's probably worth a dollar to try out another character class. You have to see what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at OnePlayerAlbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek list on BoardGameGeek, or come visit the One Player Guild on Board Game Geek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening. <laughs>